Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a show, but uh, here we are back again. Been a very, very busy time. Thanks for joining us. You can always find us online at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. We've got John Wartime, executive editor and senior writer for Sports Illustrated, joining me on the show today. We'll talk to him about the NBA Finals, the French Open, uh, Sports Illustrated at the forefront of breaking the biogenesis story with Major League Baseball, we'll talk about that. Uh, they also were on the forefront. They did break the Jason Collins story, so we'll talk about how that story came about, how they kept that under wraps for five or six days. Pretty interesting stuff from John Wartime. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. Right now, I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Excited for uh, you know summer months coming along here, and uh, always a busy time and fun time in, in the sports world with the NBA Finals, U.S. Open, all that fun stuff. Yeah, uh, we've got U.S. Open, we've got Stanley Cup Finals, which if that series is anything like the triple overtime thriller in Game 1, that's going to be an all-time classic series. And then we've got the NBA Finals with the Heat and the Spurs, so lots of uh, big championships uh, taking place. Yeah, I think that uh, Stanley Cup is going to be, I'm thinking seven games, and I bet every game is going to be within one goal because those teams are so evenly and tight-matched, great fan bases. It's going to be a fun series. Not to knock other sports, but I've watched uh, – I, I, look, I'm not someone who watches a lot of hockey. I do watch the playoffs, and I've been so impressed with the level of play in the playoffs, especially from the Blackhawks and the Bruins. Those two teams play as hard as any sports teams I've ever watched. I mean, they leave it all on the ice, and it was a shame that there had to be a loser in game one in triple overtime. Yeah, that game just kept going, and it was just – it was an epic battle. It's like they just were – you're right. The goalies were phenomenal, making amazing saves, and just the teams playing well. And uh, I love hockey fans. I mean, they're passionate fans, and they they sell those arenas out in the in the Stanley Cup, and it's fun to watch them. So I have been very very busy lately. Uh, those of you who have listened to this show for a while know that when I'm not doing sports business radio, I'm a longtime PR executive. And one of my dreams has always been dating back to when I worked for the Portland Trailblazers in the NBA. I'd go to the NBA league meetings and we could meet with the other teams and trade ideas and network and best practices. But we couldn't do that with other leagues. So I've always wanted to do something that brought together all of the pro sports leagues and also the college ranks and also uh, companies like Adidas and Under Armour and Red Bull and Nike and, and uh, bring everyone together in a room and have some really good conversation, network, exchange ideas, and do it in a fun way. And about a year ago, 10 months ago, I came up with the concept for the Sports PR Summit, and we just had that first event at the MLB Fan Cave in New York on May 22nd. And Griggs, it was fantastic. The The panel conversations, the reporters – I mean, essentially, we had uh, a, a panel of reporters, LZ Granderson, John Wartime, who's on the show today, Rick Buecher, uh, Shara Springer from the Boston Globe, and they t- 
told PR people, here's how you can work more effectively with me. Here are my challenges with my editor. Here's what I'm trying to do on social media. Here's what I have to put out on Twitter. And then for the PR people to be able to tell the reporters, look, here's what we're looking for from you. Those conversations just don't take place. And then we had an athlete panel with the same types of conversations. We had a panel on social media. Uh, it was fantastic. We're going to turn this into an annual event. The feedback has been great. If you want to learn more about the event, you can go to sportsprsummit.com. We'll be launching uh, that website in the next few weeks with pictures and video and things like that. But, uh, you know, I'd have to say, Griggs, uh, probably the, the proudest moment of my professional career to date, to stand up there and see such uh, well-respected people in that room and to bring them all together. That was a proud moment for me. Yeah, I mean, and I, I wasn't there, but I followed along with the Facebook and Twitter feeds and everybody shooting out stuff. Great pictures. First of all, awesome venue. I mean, that the man, the man cave is uh, phenomenal. Fan cave is phenomenal. So that's awesome. Right down there in New York City. And then just the whole event, the concept of it's great because there's nothing out there like it. So I think it's it's something that draws the big names to it and interest in people because hey, there's nothing out there that that people aren't doing it. So it's a, a great informative uh, panel and lots of information shared with some great names in the business. Yeah, we live in this world where, uh, you know, we've got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, the the communications world is evolving and it's evolving quickly and we all face the same challenges. So to be able to get together in a room, it was 100 people, invite only, uh, only senior executives. So the collective brain power in that room was pretty phenomenal. And uh, we had an amazing reception downstairs at the MLB Fan Cave afterwards. We had five Iron Chefs there, Griggs. I don't know that we'll ever top a reception like that. And the food was ridiculous. And then some of the Iron Chefs took me and Rick Buecher and uh, my buddy Brad, who was our photographer, out on the town in New York afterwards. And to say that we had some world-class food would be an understatement. That's awesome, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great city, and it's, it's vibrant, and it's great that you got the Iron Chefs there, too. It's like a TV show you're making there. Well, one of the things that we didn't want to do is we didn't want to have this in a hotel ballroom because you think about the people who work in the sports world, they all go to great venues every day. So if you do this in a hotel ballroom and you've got coffee and tea in the back, that's a real snoozer. You've got to do it in a venue where people have never been or they're intrigued by the venue as well. And that's why one of my hopes is that uh, we rotate the leagues hosting this. So, you know, Major League Baseball hosted us this year at the Fan Cave. Maybe next year in 2014, it's another one of the pro sports leagues. They've all got great venues. Uh, they now see what this is and who was there. So uh, I think we're off and running, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a fun concept. I'm looking forward to the coming years and uh, the names that you can continue to pull. It's fun stuff. But that's why my time behind the mic has been uh, more limited than usual. So I apologize to everyone out there. I know I've gotten some tweets and emails saying, hey, where'd you go? Are you still doing the show? And yes, we are. Uh, we hope to do it more regularly, but uh, just uh, I need to clone myself and yeah, uh, exactly. figure out a way to do the show and then go do all the other things that I have going on uh, as well. Uh, let's talk quickly about the NBA Finals. Uh, the ratings have been pretty good. Uh, not great, but they've been pretty good. You know, The thing that I look at here, too, is after 30 years, Griggs, David Stern is stepping aside after these finals. I mean, he's had quite a run. He's been on this show several times. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what he's done during his time as commissioner. But, you know, as I watch the finals, that's kind of in the back of my mind as well, that this is it for David Stern. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I mean, anybody that's lived in the modern era now, it's like that's what you know. NBA is David Stern. I mean, that's he's been such a 
epic, you know, epic dude running the whole thing for so long that it's uh, it's going to be interesting not having him uh, there next year. Definitely. Uh, who do you like in the series? I picked the Spurs in six before the series began. I, I'm still sticking with that. Yeah, and I think I, that's that's exactly what I've been saying too. I think uh, Spurs will handle it. And uh, man, I tell you, after if they're as hot as they were in Game Three, look out. Yeah, their three point shooting was uh, phenomenal. I'm torn because uh, Eric Spolster, the head coach of the Heat, is is a good friend of mine, and I've worked with Eric, and and I always root for Eric. But I just think the Spurs are going to be a little bit too tough. But we will see. Uh, I know. The U.S. Open is is coming up, and uh, boy, they've got all kinds of challenges with the weather and the soggy course and getting the rounds in. But one of the things they've done for the first two rounds is they've paired Tiger Woods, uh, Adam Scott, who won the Masters. And oh, by the way, his uh, caddy is uh, Tiger's old caddy, Stevie Williams. And then uh, you've got Roy McIlroy. That's quite a pairing there. And, uh, you know, we'll see if any uh, one of the winners – comes out of that group, but who do you like in the U.S. Open, Griggs? I'm going to pull for, I think this is Rory's uh, tournament. I think he's going to, this is the one he's finally going to click on, and I think he is going to, uh, he's going to take it. Wow. Yeah. See, I'm really torn with uh, who I would go with. I, I don't think it's going to be someone from that group. I think it's going to be someone that we go, oh, wow, you know, they finally jumped up and, and won a major. If you yes. look at the number of first-time major winners over the last few years, that's what we've seen. That's been the pattern. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, someone who hasn't won a major uh, wins this one. And I think it's going to be a weird tournament because it's probably – I won't be surprised if they finish it on Monday because the weather doesn't look like it's going to get much better. And if they have a delay in the first and second round, uh, that's going to be a lot of golf to pack into a day. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a Monday finish here. Yeah, and it kind of the weather feels like the uh, the British Open. It always seems like there's weather issues. It has that kind of feel to it. So who knows uh, when people are going to be playing? That can that can play a role too. in, in players that you know aren't normally uh, expected to win, they can come up from behind and things like that. Because weather definitely plays a, a toll on the players. What are some of your uh, other things that you've been paying attention to in the in the sports world over the last uh, month or so? That is a good question. Um, I'm, I'm a big hockey guy, so I've, always, I've, you know, this is a big time of year because I love the Stanley Cup and all that stuff. So I've been really following the hockey, and uh, you know, baseball's been fun. I actually went last week to up to Seattle for that 16 inning marathon game. I was there, I stayed for the whole game. So wow! That was fun. Yeah, that was that's that impressive was, yeah. that you stayed for the whole game. Yeah, we stayed. I was me and my brother, a couple buddies, and yeah, we uh, we stayed there. And we're like, we can't leave because you never know what happens. And sure enough, when uh, Seager hit that grand slam, we were going crazy. Wow. That's that fantastic. Fun. Well, good for you for being a real fan and, and staying for all <laughs> 16 innings. One of the things I've been paying attention to, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, is the NCAA and their enforcement division. And another key departure this past week, if you look at that enforcement staff, I mean, they're really down to two key people. And that's not big enough. And there's a lot of people that want NCAA President Mark Emmert to step aside. Look, I don't know Mark Emmert other than what I've heard about him or my interactions with him here on this show, where he's always been gracious and, and candid. But you look at the NCAA in the last year, year and a half, and there's a number of people departing, key people, and they've had a lot of scandal, and uh, they haven't handled situations properly. That's going to be a story that I'm really keeping my eye on because I think we could see a real shift with the NCAA, whether it's a new president to replace Mark Emmert or uh, whether it's uh, maybe they finally take our advice, Griggs, and, and 
outsource enforcement and, and do something along those lines to be able to really put some teeth into enforcing things. So uh, the NCAA, as it always is, is top of mind, and uh, I'll be interested to see how that organization continues to uh, mold itself and form itself over the next few months. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, I think it's not necessarily Mark's problem. I think it's just because he doesn't have the, the resources and the staff to do it. I mean, I think people fault the head of the, of the organization, obviously, which is, is, is natural. But, yeah, I think he's just he's limited in what he can do, and it's, it's interesting. And I, you bring up a good point. I think it is going to be interesting to see how they move forward and what they do to handle some of these um, you know, NCAA issues that always come up. Well, and being in the enforcement division, whether it's at the NCAA or whether it's at a university, it is a thankless job. It doesn't pay well. Uh, you're always the bad guy when people see you walking down the hall, whether it's the coach or the AD. They know there's probably bad news or they don't want to talk to you. They want to live in their own little world. Uh, if they see you show up from the NCAA on campus, they are not real pleased about it. Uh-oh, here, here comes the sheriff. You know, what are they in town for. So it's a thankless job. And that's why a lot of people have kind of bolted those jobs and said, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is one of those jobs where it's like the principal walking through the halls. It's like, oh, we don't want to see that. It's bad news. And, and that does go with the job, but it'll be interesting. I, I think they need to ramp it up and, and get some kind of committee or something, like you said, outsourcing or something like that to, to make it a little more fair in the whole industry. All right, so coming up next, John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. He's the executive editor, senior writer. He's written a number of books as well. We'll talk to him about everything from uh, the Jason Collins story, which was broken by his staff at Sports Illustrated. John was very much a part of that. He'll tell us the genesis behind that story, how they were able to keep it quiet for six days. Uh, We'll talk French Open, NBA Finals, and Biogenesis. Coming up with John Wartime of Sports Illustrated, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is John Wartime. He is the executive editor and senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Find him on Twitter at John underscore Wartime. John, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for being a part of a terrific uh, first ever sports PR summit back on May 22nd at the Major League Baseball Fan Cave. You were on the media roundtable panel with Rick Buecher and LZ Granderson and Shire Springer and uh, rave reviews for uh, your panel at the event. But great conversations there, and thanks again for being a part of that. Oh, pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll see what year two brings. Exactly. So you're just back from uh, Paris and the French Open. Give me your thoughts. Uh, two old, familiar names come out on top there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, those were the two players most people probably would have uh, picked before the event. Talking about Nadal and Serena, obviously. And uh, no, I mean, I think it's incredible. They, apart from winning the tournament, they've really kind of redirected this whole discussion historically. I mean, Serena's she's 31. She's playing as well as ever. She's now won every major at least twice. She's up to 16. And I think people are finally saying, wait a second, she's going to go down if not the greatest ever, certainly one of them. I mean, she's really in that Mount Rushmore area now. She'll probably retire with more majors than, you know, Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett. And uh, I think people are still starting to realize, wait a second, she's she's almost 32 years old and she's still the best player in the world. This this is nuts. And then on the men's side, you know, Nadal's now won the French Open eight of nine years. He's up to 12 majors. And... By the way, his record against Roger Federer, who everybody's sort of working on the assumption is, is the greatest ever, is Nadal's record against Federer head-to-head is 20-10. and 10. So he really has kind of been recast, too. So you, you had two players, familiar faces, as you said, that won, but they've really kind of changed the whole narrative of, uh, of the sport. Yeah, Nadal on clay is about the safest bet in sports these days, right? Uh, yeah, someone said it's like, uh, you know, it's Picasso on canvas. Yeah, <laughs> Nadal doesn't do a lot of losing on uh, Clay. even, um, you know, he, he had one tough match against Djokovic. That was the match of the tournament. And then once he won that, it was like you should have just given him the trophy uh, right then and there. John Wartime from Sports Illustrated is joining us here on Sports Business Radio. Let's talk about Major League Baseball and this biogenesis story. Uh, an old familiar story with performance-enhancing drugs in Major League Baseball. You and your team at Sports Illustrated have been on top of this story from the beginning. What's the latest, and, and where do you see this going? Because it seems like you know Major League Baseball is getting minor league baseball players to testify. Uh, you've got Tony Bosch who is testifying. This seems to be MLB aggressively going after the people they perceive as cheaters on this. Yeah, I mean, I think that at some level, this is this is MLB saying, "Look, we were we were embarrassed by this once, and there's a new sheriff in town, and we're not playing around this time, and uh, you know, we're we're going to act like a prosecutor, basically." Um, I think we have not heard much from the Players Association, but I think they're going to weigh in here pretty soon and say, "Wait a second, I'm not sure uh, you guys have the power to do everything you're doing," but I, I think this notion of getting some of these players to to testify against other players. I think you know getting Bosch basically to flip. This 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 could be an interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be interesting in terms of baseball, but just sort of interesting in terms of sports procedure and what the powers and uh, you know how how much power uh, 
a league has is, is really interesting too. You've been around performance enhancing drugs and covering it for a long time. You know, I've always been told that the cheaters are 10 steps in front of the people who are trying to catch them. Do you think that's still the case or do you think the gap is narrowing? You know, it, I think it's sort of um, – I think there are two gaps. I mean one is just sort of the, the technology and the resources, and it, it's sort of like NCAA enforcement. Um, and I don't, I don't think the cheaters are 10 steps ahead of the testing, but I think they're definitely ahead of the testing. And then the other front is just procedurally that you have collective bargaining and you have drug policy and protocol and whether it's the NFL not making players that are caught actually say what the drugs in question were or whether it's some of these procedural safeguards that the union will say are necessary and the, you know, and the labor and the management and the, and the leagues will say are, are just an impediment. Um, that figures in too. So it's, it's almost not a fair fight. But I think that, um, you know, I mean, I, I think the good guys are getting a little closer. Which U.S. pro sports league do you think does the best job of, uh, I guess, policing performance-enhancing drugs? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's not – I think some of it is, is collective bargaining, and mm -hmm. I think some of it, too, is just perception. That right. um, who I'm, – I'm, I'm jet-lagged, and I was in – you know, I'm, I'm coming in. But, but who, who on the uh, Seahawks – just suspected uh, was it was it Seymour or was it someone else who just suspected that he has teammates that I thought it was Sherman issues? yeah Sherman okay so 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 you imagine someone on a baseball team you imagine someone on the Mariners saying oh yeah I'm sure some of my teammates are using performance enhancing drugs that there would, there would be outrage and name names right. and I knew it right I, I think that I don't want to say I mean it, at some level it's a double standard at some level it probably should be just because careers are shorter and the physical you know, the physical uh, expectations and demands are greater. But I think our view of steroids in the NFL is much different than our view of performance-enhancing drugs in other sports, certainly in, in baseball. Um, you know, I mean, I, th I think numbers would tell you that the the NBA probably has the, the least issue, but is that a function of good testing and, and players that are, you know, scared into competing clean, or is that a function of bad testing? So... I mean, I, I just think, um, in part because of history, I think baseball is perception-wise in a much different place than, so certainly than the NFL and, and, and the N NBA and, uh, and hockey as well. Don Wartime, executive editor and senior writer of Sports Illustrated, is joining us. Let's talk a minute about the Jason Collins story. You guys broke that story. The thing that's amazing to me is that you were able to keep that story under wraps for several days in this world that we live in of Twitter and Facebook and 24-7 media. Walk us through the process of how you got the tip, how you sat down with Jason, did the story, and how you kept it quiet for five days. Well, the, the short answer is that everybody's interests were aligned. I mean, J Jason did not want this leaked, and neither did we. So, uh, I mean, a lot of times when you have leaked, it's because someone has an interest that's at odds with everybody else's. Um, no, we got probably – I think it was Easter Sunday. We got a call from a contributor, Franz Liz, who said, you know, a friend of mine is an agent. He has a client who's thinking about coming out. Would you guys be interested? But, no, absolutely. So – we didn't know who it was. We got a date, you know, the Thursday after the season ends, come to uh, come to Los Angeles and, and we'll, we'll have a meeting. And the next few weeks, half of me said, you know, it's, it's completely reasonable that this athlete is going to reconsider or that there's there's something fuzzy here, but sort of proceeded as though it was going to happen. And um, 
you know, lined, lined up some other pieces if it did happen. And so I, I flew out there with, with Franz. We both flew to L.A. And on the appointed date, we showed up at a house in, in the L.A. Hills. And there there was Jason Collins. And he was he was ready to talk. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it was about a week. It was six days between when we first met Jason and when the story broke. And I think one of the reasons he wanted to tell it in Sports Illustrated is because he really wanted to – you know, he didn't want to be outed. He didn't want this to be something on Twitter to respond to. He really wanted to control the message. So he, he had every incentive not to tell anyone. And we certainly didn't want someone else to, to scoop us, as it were. So we, we all, it was a very tight circle. You know, we had, we shot the cover. Um, I coordinated the cover shot. And the photographer showed up and had no idea why he was there. Wow, and I, sus- I suspect that this photographer went over there and was saying, "Wait a second, what, what am I doing taking photos of uh, a guy who played for the Washington Wizards and isn't in the playoffs and you know, average single digits this season?" But uh, you know, the guy who shot the photo didn't even know what he was doing it for. So there were a really small number of us even knew about this, and then um, you know, it 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 held until uh, that Monday morning. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you bring up a great point that it's better for someone like Jason Collins. I mean, when I'm not doing this show, I do PR. And it's better for someone like Jason Collins to sit down and have a long-form story in your magazine where he can really uh, dig deep and and tell his story instead of 140 characters on Twitter or something on on social media. This needs a little more explanation. So I thought, you know, from his standpoint, great strategy. And you, know, you guys have a great platform. You do a good job, and and you have uh, terrific writers there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think apart from Twitter, I mean, I think the other thing he didn't want was just to be outed, basically. And I think, um, you know, if, if he if he had a, a long form platform, that was going to be great. We were happy to accommodate that. But I think the other thing going on here is he didn't want to be in a position of somebody whips out their their phone or somebody has a rumor on the internet. I mean, he, he wanted to be proactive here. And, uh, I, th- I think, you know, I mean, he, he's, we've, we've stayed in touch and it's been, I mean, he's, he's a lovely guy, but I think that there was also apart from everything else, there was just a sense of relief that he was doing this on his terms, and that he wasn't, uh, living in fear of a phone call saying, you know, somebody said something on the internet. Do you want to respond? So has that barrier been broken now, John, or is it still going to be a big story when athletes come out in the future, in your opinion? Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's still going to be a big story. I think when Jason, um, you know, goes to a camp or plays in a game in the fall, I don't think it's going to last the whole season, but I think for the first couple, you know, whatever, the first 10 games, 20 games, it's going to be a story. But I, I, I think that we're steadily, slowly but steadily sort of pro- progressing on this issue. and. I mean, look. If a player in another sport came out tomorrow, it would it would still be a huge story. But I think it wouldn't be Jason Collins big, and I think that the third would be smaller than the second. And I think you know, in, in X years from now, we're gonna say how crazy is it that you had thousands and thousands of men playing pro sports, and not a single one of them was was openly gay. A few minutes left with John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. All right, the NBA Finals going on right now uh you know i look at the spurs and greg popovich and i just think they're one of the most underappreciated teams of of my life they're 4-0 in the finals uh pop and duncan have won more playoff games as a tandem than any other duo in nba playoff history but we never talk about them as amongst the greatest of all time why is that is it because they're in hidden san antonio 
You know, I don't you think it's it's because of the principles as much as the market. Yeah, I mean the, the Green Bay Packers. You know, people knew Brett Favre and uh, Aaron Rodgers in a smaller market than San Antonio. I think it's just this Spurs way is is very humble and right. you deflect attention. And I don't know if you read the, the Mark Stein piece on uh, Popovich during the, you know, during the on-court interviews during the game. I think yeah. you know they they don't like attention. They like results. And I think that um, you know I'm, I, if if they were playing in New York or L.A., it would be a little different, but you know, Tim, Tim, Tim Duncan, bless him, is uh, not the most, you know, charismatic or accommodating or, you know, open, open star, too. And I think that combination is probably more than uh, the market side. Well, and I think I don't know too many teams where their superstars could take a back seat to what we saw in game three with Gary Neal and Danny Green emerging and really carrying that team because a lot of guys would say, no, I still need mine and my shots. And they wouldn't even give the ball to those guys, even if they're hot, because their egos wouldn't allow it. The Spurs don't have egos, and they've let their role players really uh, carry them in a few games in this series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's when you're in, you're in your late 30s, you probably have a little different. You've won a few of these rings before. It probably is a little different. But, no, I mean, that was uh, – that was part of the fun last night too. Was seeing the reaction on the bench when uh, these two role players were just unconscious. Yeah, and Kawhi Leonard, boy, how about that guy? I mean, that's a nice. So here's a good. Uh, you're an NBA guy. Yeah. Someone asked me this and totally stumped me. They said, since Popovich, you know, late late '90s, Popovich becomes uh, the GM. What's their worst personnel move? I mean, boy. name me one bad move that they've that they've made in the last 15 years. Well, I guess you I guess you could say uh cutting Danny Green twice, but at least they brought him back, right? Yeah, exactly. Except <laughs> someone said uh yeah, right, right. Scola and Danny Green, right. But uh yeah, other than that, I mean, people forget, you know, they drafted uh, Nick Batum who plays in in Portland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe, you know, giving up on him and and getting rid of him uh was uh a, a tough one, but uh yeah, getting Duncan Obviously, was a, a godsend after they uh, already had Robinson, but then you get Parker and Ginobili where they did. They're whenever they do something, they're one of those teams where you kind of go, "Uh oh, what do they see that everyone else doesn't yeah, see?" Yeah, exactly. Everyone plays defense now. Last question for you: uh, another big story this week, and you know, I, people rip on Tim Tebow, but he is fodder for uh, internet traffic for radio talk show. Uh, chatter for TV ratings. He's a big story. Merchandise sales all the way around. Tim Tebow's a big story. What were your thoughts on him going to the Patriots? And do you think he'll stick there on their roster? Or is this just a, hey, we'll give him a look-see, but he won't really make the team? Yeah, I mean, you know, three three weeks ago, we had people calling saying, you know, he, he should be trying rugby because he has all the essential <laughs> qualities to it's be true. a good rugby player. Yeah. So, uh you know, and this guy, you know, keep in mind, this guy was quarterbacking a uh, a playoff team 18 months ago. So what a, what a strange uh, few years it's been. Um, you know, I who, who knows? It's one you're you're one injury away from uh, from, from calling in backups. But I'm not sure why. If, if he wasn't getting snaps with the Jets, I'm not sure why he would be with the Patriots. All right, so you've got some juice at Sports Illustrated. You're you're a big deal there. I need you to set something up for me. Can you can you please set up a story, a feature, a meeting, something between Greg Popovich and Bill Belichick? I've got to see those two interact. 
they're one and the same. They're both brilliant coaches. The way they address the media, Belichick just stonewalled the media at the Tebow press <laughs> conference. Does. I don't know if you saw that. And obviously right. Popovich doing the same during his uh, interviews during the NBA Finals. But they're brilliant coaches. You could argue two of the best coaches of the last 20 years in their respective sports. But I wonder, do they know each other? Have they ever met? They have similar approaches. I, I would love to see the two of them sit down. They get Tortorella in there, too. I, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, I've covered the Spurs a few times, and I've found Popovich to be in, engaging and, and funny and talk about other things. And I know, you know, dur- during the game, he's, he's not so keen about giving a courtside interview, but I, I've had nothing but nice interactions with Popovich. I'm not sure Bill Belichick is, uh, you know, talking about wine and uh, his favorite movies with writers that parachute in to cover the Patriots. I mean, I think uh, got to give the edge to Pop in that one. I would agree, but remember a few years ago, NFL Films followed Belichick around for the season. I saw a totally different side of him during that than you see at a press conference. And, you know, I agree with you, Pop, when he's doing his sideline interviews, it's like he's chewing glass. He hates doing those. But in his press conference, he's definitely more engaging and entertaining. So I have this feeling that the two of them do have some personality. And if you got them together, like outside of the field of play, uh, it might be pretty funny. I like that, though. I think I think you're on to something. See, I'm doing your job for you. You're, exactly. you're, you're sitting around having meetings with your reporter saying, what's the next big story idea? Or what's something unique that we can come up with? And I just did your job. Exactly. Got to talk more often. So give out your, your Twitter handle so people can follow you on Twitter. Oh, I'll warn you, it's an awful lot of tennis, but uh, John, J-O-N underscore Orthime. John, thank you so much for, uh, again, being part of the Sports PR Summit a few weeks ago. Thanks for being on this show, and uh, let's catch up again soon. Very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, we're back to close up this episode of Sports Business Radio, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes. Whenever we do a show, we'd appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Griggs, where are you on Twitter? Grizzle 22 
And that's a lot of uh, good family pictures. Family pics. Yeah, I'm not a major tweeter because I don't really want to tweet something unless I really, really, really want to. So you're not breaking news. <laughs> no, I'm not breaking news. I have no contacts in the news world. But, uh, yeah, family pics is about it and, uh, you know, little updates on vacation type things. Yeah, speaking of vacation, what's on tap for the uh, Griggs family this summer? We are actually heading over to uh, Central Oregon. There's a place called Sun River and uh, some good golf over there, and it's kind of a resort-type place. We're heading over there next week. So that'll be fun, and uh, hopefully the weather will get nicer. It's kind of rainy today in Portland, but that's the big one. And then uh, Black Butte, another golf-type place later in August, and that's what we're doing. Speaking of golf, listen to this. So I was out in New York in May for the Sports PR Summit. We talked about that earlier in the show. So I get back. I land. I literally, like, you know, sleep for a few hours. And this is up – I was up all night my last night there because it's not often you get a chance to spend – time in New York with Iron Chefs, and I had a 6 a.m. flight the next morning, which meant I needed to be up around 4, so I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to sleep. I'm going to enjoy my time in New York with the Iron Chefs and eat some good food and network. And So no sleep, land back in Portland, uh, pick a buddy of mine up from high school, uh, went to high school in Phoenix, and we drive to Bandon Dunes, and we played... 54 holes of golf in 24 hours. Bandon Dunes, Pacific Dunes, and Old McDonald. And uh, B.R. Kahneman was our host once again. Thank you so much to Bandon Dunes for uh, being terrific hosts while we were out there. And again, I've said this before, and maybe it sounds biased because I, I live in Oregon, but if you look at the top golf courses that you can play, any of the lists, Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, those courses at Bandon Dunes are the best in the country. If you're going to play a resort anywhere, I think that's a place to come in. And the ocean views, I'm a sucker for ocean views, Griggs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. But then it's True Links Golf. I mean, if you can't afford to go to Scotland or you don't have time to go to Europe to play Lynx-style golf and you want to play in the United States, come to Bandon Dunes on the coast of Oregon, and it is a real gem of a resort. So anytime I have a chance to go out there uh, – I really enjoy it. And I got to tell you, Griggs, what I've learned about my golf game is the less I play and the less I expect of myself on a golf course, the better I play. I'm relaxed. I don't think about my score. I just kind of hit away. And uh, I actually played pretty well. I hadn't played in several months, and uh, I did okay. Congrats, and I agree. Yeah, I think the key is relaxed. If you can just forget the score and forget what you're doing, you can always hit the ball better. And that place is – I've never played it, but I have been down there, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And that is an awesome place in Oregon. It's a great coastline, and usually, actually, the weather is pretty decent down there, too. It's, it's awesome. It was great. Yeah, the weather is uh, really nice down there. I mean, sometimes you get a windy day and some rain, but we had beautiful weather, and uh, they've got a great par-3 course down there. So uh, com, I believe, is their website address. But if you just Google Bandon Dunes, it is fantastic if you're looking for uh, a wonderful place to play golf. And it's all about the golf. They don't have spa. They don't have uh, any of that stuff going on. It is just unbelievable golf. Uh, no homes on the course. No golf carts. We had a caddy. David was our caddy for all three rounds, and he was fantastic. So uh, good stuff. I really enjoyed my time at, at Bandon Dunes. I am going to be uh, going to Maui later in the summer. So that's kind of my uh, trip that I'm looking forward to with my daughter. We go to Maui every other year and uh, have some friends over there and spend some time in uh, Kanapali and Kapalua and Wailea. And uh, I cannot wait to go to Hawaii, Griggs. Now, did, did, when you guys go, are you like beach dwellers the whole time or do you go into the towns? What do you guys do? We do all the above. Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, you know, sometimes I'll play some golf, but usually I don't. Now that my daughter's getting into golf, I got her some golf clubs, and, and she's always asking me to go to the range now. So that's pretty there cool. You go. Cool. But uh, usually, yeah, we hang out at the beach. We swim in the pool. Uh, they have an amazing aquarium over in, in Maui, cool. and, and we like that. Um, but, yeah, we just kind of hang out. They've got good stuff there, but it's all about relaxing and yeah, just – you know, having a good time and uh, good quality time with uh, with my daughter. So that's always uh, fantastic. I look forward to those trips. And, you know, as you know, with someone, uh, you got a little guy, it goes by fast. And, and I'm thinking, you know, not so long from now, my daughter will be uh, going to college and yeah. growing up. So I cherish the days now of uh, her wanting to come on family vacation yeah, and exactly. you know, wanting to hang out with dad and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh it's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I agree. My my little guy just uh, had, had his last day of kindergarten yesterday, so he's a big first grader now. And yeah, it's totally cool. I mean, he he loves hanging with me, and we do a lot of stuff together, and it's it's very very fun. I enjoy it big time. And my daughter got to meet James Harden not too long ago, yeah, and the beard, the beard. You know, it's funny. I'll just say this quickly. Uh, and this is people always ask me, oh, Sports Illustrated for kids. It's great because they've got the posters and they've got the trading cards. So my daughter gets Sports Illustrated for kids. She puts the posters up in her room. She reads the trading cards, but that's how she's kind of uh, developing her favorite athlete and her list of favorite athletes. And she then, you know, wants to watch them on TV. And and because of my job, I'm sometimes able to take her to see them in person. And with James Harden, we were able to meet him, and he was very nice to my daughter. And uh, it's just funny to see, you know, my my little daughter and and then big James Harden in the beard. And uh, he was very nice to her. So uh, thanks, James Harden, for uh, being cool when you meet kids. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is athletes and celebrities have a lot of pressure on them because people will form their opinions just based off of that, you know, minute or two minute meeting. If he was a jerk to her, I would have gone, you know what, let's take that James Harden poster down in your room. But he was really cool. So now, you know, it's like, hey, uh, she's got a picture of herself and uh, James Harden up in her room. And uh, it's fun to have those uh, experiences in sports. And I got to say, you know, I work with a lot of people in the sports world, so I don't look at it that way anymore. It's more of a, a business thing to me. So it's fun for me to see her get excited about being a fan because I've kind of lost some of that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it is fun. I remember when I was a kid, too, and the Blazers would have uh, signings and stuff at the, you know, the Kmart down the street or whatever. And it was like, oh, we got to meet, you know, whoever it was, Clyde Drexler or whatever. And it is. It's that 30 seconds with him that, that can make or break it. It's like you either love him after that or you hate him. And it's totally true. All right, let's wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. I promise you uh, it won't be so long in between podcasts. Uh, thank you to Brian Griggs. Thank you to Josh Blank. Thank you to Doug Zanger for helping out with our show. Again, a podcast reminder, you can find us uh, online at sportsbusinessradio.com. There's a link to our podcast, or you can just go on to iTunes. We've got a very popular podcast on iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio, and you can have our podcast downloaded to your uh, mobile device or uh, whatever you have that you listen to MP3s with every week. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. 
My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.